I'm Chava, and I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Hello. Um, well, Mitch asked me to speak at this particular workshop because I have cancer, and I was thinking um, about a few years ago when I had a scary medical test. To, I was in the waiting room thinking about taking this test, which was uh, having some bone marrow sampled, and um, I remember sitting in the waiting room thinking, is this scarier than speaking at a meeting, being the speaker, or which is scary? Which would I rather have, bone marrow or speaking? <laughs> so this is preferable. <laughs> um, so my instructions are to give one or two minutes of my uh, overview of my recovery, uh, weight and all that. Um, my weight as an anorexic went below 90. Um, my top weight over overeating without throwing up was um, over 260. And uh, I went like this all my life. And um, uh, what else do I want to say about that? Um, I've been abstinent for uh, 18 years. Though I've been in uh, Overeaters Anonymous for 25 years, um, which tells you that I lost my abstinence at some point or didn't get it. But I was abstinent and I lost it um, because I made my abstinence or I made my abstinence conditional, uh, meaning if you had been through what I went through in my childhood, well, you would eat too. And uh, I learned from that that. Um, I absolutely need to make abstinence number one, regardless of what's going on in, in my life. Um, so on the topic of, of dealing with illness, um, I've had chronic health problems throughout my time in recovery, um, disabling health problems, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and, and environmental illness. and. Um, fortunately, I have a spiritual program, and it includes meditation. And I remember, can you hear me when I stand up straight? Okay. I remember um, in meditation once, um, because I was feeling like it was so limited, my life felt so limited in that I could go to a meeting and that was my big energy expenditure of the day, and that was all I could do, um, which is great to be able to <laughs> do that much. And um, what I saw in my meditation was an image of a monk's cell, which is a limited space. And the message to me from my higher power was that the limitations are the cell, your are the, the area that your, your spiritual growth happens where you practice your spiritual growth. I don't know if I told that. You know, if you get something in meditation and it doesn't always translate very well. But um, what I did experience when looking back on it was that my inability to do this and that in life and run around like I do now, this and that, was I, I could just focus on my recovery, basically, and I needed to do that at that time just to stay alive. Um, I heard somebody at a meeting say that 
and this was in another program, not food, but she said that um, working the 12 steps cured her allergies. So I thought, well, it's quite possible that working the 12 steps will have a beneficial um, effect on my health. So I'll work these steps. And now I can't say that um, that they've cured all my health problems or they haven't, but they certainly haven't hurt, you know, that um, being abstinent physically and also um, helps the physical abstinence helps and also just the peace of mind that I get from recovery um, is definitely less stress on the body. Um, so be it through the spiritual recovery or just resting and taking lots of supplements and acupuncture and, and all those things, I started to have more energy and feel more healthy. And then suddenly I had pain problems and was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And at that point, and I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to really walk. And, um, and I was afraid I wouldn't be able to dance because um, wanting to get back into dancing was a, a strong motivation in my life. And um, so when I got the pain problems and then I suddenly couldn't go to a dance class, I, I really started to doubt God. And um, I'm going to read. I, I, I just thought, you know, God had let me down or what was happening. So this is from step 11 in the, in the AA 12 and 12. Um, out of every season of grief or suffering, when the hand of God seemed heavy or even unjust, new lessons for living were learned, new resources of courage were uncovered, and finally, inescapably, the conviction came that God does move in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Um, well, I don't know whether my fibromyalgia was the uh, hand of God or just a magnesium deficiency, which it actually turned out to be years later. I found out that when I took lots of magnesium, the pain went away. But um, I do know that, I mean, I was so distressed about not being able to dance. But what happened was because that I couldn't... Um, I had to take a break in the dancing and I started to see how driven I had been in, um, I mean, I wasn't even enjoying dancing. I just was worried about, you know, am I the best in this class? Well, clearly not, so I might as well. I mean, I was just um, fairly insane about it. Fairly insane? I mean, does insane come in degrees? I don't know. but. I mean, I had totally lost the reason why I like to dance in the first place. And not being able to do it, I start, you know, I decided, well, I would practice at home using whatever didn't hurt on any particular day. And um, what I found out, I started to re-experience music in that um, I was dancing because I like to move my body. And so, um, so that was a gift that maybe I wouldn't have... I just would, was so stubbornly driven that I might not have seen that unless I was forced to slow down. Um, so, um, but I, you know, I was still doubting God. And this really thing that helped me um, actually move forward in my spiritual recovery um, out of that doubt was um, getting cancer. And... Um, 
I, um, excuse me. Um, I, I had a bi I found a lump, I had a biopsy, and I was waiting for the test results. And I'm not a good waiter, and I'm not great at in, you know, uncertainty. But who would be, you know, who's, who's great at waiting for biopsy results? So, um, and I just couldn't sleep, and I was just a mess, and I was, you know, fantasizing. I mean, I hadn't got the results, but I was fantasizing about what music should be played at my funeral, and, and um, I finally took, I finally took down the big book and uh, read it. I don't even remember what I read, but I, it allowed me to calm down and to finally to meditate. And when I when I meditated, I just had this this image happened. <laughs> I didn't create it; it happened. Um, this image of crawling into my higher power's lap, and my higher power telling me, "All you can do is trust and be happy." So when I, the doctor called me in the next day for the biopsy results, and um, I knew since she was calling me in and not telling me over the phone that it probably wasn't good, but I. I mean, I cried and I was scared, but I also had this underlying sense of um, being held and that, you know, this would, that I had an underlying sense of well-being, like that it, was, it would be okay, that this was not the end of the world. And then, of course, I went right to a meeting. And um, in, in, sickness, in good time, sickness and in health, meetings <laughs> and all the tools really, you know, got me through. I mean going to a meeting, you know, like, okay, first thing is not destroy myself with, with my addiction. Um, get, be surrounded by the care of the fellowship. Um, and all the tools throughout the course of, of having cancer, you know, have sustained me. Having a sponsor to talk to about the changes in my eating when I was on, in chemotherapy and had to, had to eat differently. Um, So one of the lessons for me, um, there were a lot of ups and downs with, you know, throughout the, the cancer, and one of the lessons for me was just like relying on God. God reliance is, you know, the, the answer to my fears is God reliance. And there were so many gl human glitches that I kept having to turn to God you know, the test results, you know, you're supposed to start this, but the this procedure, but the test results haven't come back. Little glitches, and also big glitches. My uh, oncologist made a big mistake, you know. She said, you're done, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're through treatment. And I said, well, I can feel it growing back. I can see it growing back. And she kept saying, no, you're done. And she'd measure my tumor across the room like that. And um, that was wrong. And I finally had to see another doctor, and he said, you need treatment. Um, and one thing that I knew from meditation was that I needed to just let go of the resentment and not just stay there stewing on, stewing on that because I needed all my resources to, you know, to save my life, to do what I needed to do to save my life. So the steps helped me, you know, like do that and not just get caught up in how could this doctor make this mistake? Well, doctors are human and doctors make mistakes. Um, and you know, I found I, I looked. I found a doctor who who 
is a brilliant woman who's still my doctor and I have a lot of admiration for her. And I went to her, I mean, I heard that a, 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 this, I thought, I considered another doctor, but I found that someone said, well, he had made a mistake in her right, writing the wrong dosage of chemo, so I thought, I'm not going to go to him. So I went to this new doctor, and I mean, the first appointment, she ran out into the waiting room and said, wait a minute, I made a mistake, and she was like changing the, the, the thing, you know, she was pretty flustered about it. And she's still my doctor, and it's just, it's kind of, it was, Almost like higher power was saying, like no matter where you go, they're go you know you're going to have human beings taking care of you, and you're just going to have to rely on me. And um, so, um, and um, I relied on God, and it was actually a pretty fantastic year, um, a very happy year. Um, God kept. It was happy because God made made herself really clear over and over again to me. Um, for example, you know, the doctor when I, the doctor when I first saw the doctor after I knew the results of the test, she said, "Well, um, you have a disease that's not curable but treatable. This kind of lymphoma that I have." And when she said that, I thought, oh, well, I already have one of those, you know. I have this food disease, this overeating disease, which is not curable, but it's treatable. And so when she said that, I almost laughed out loud because I thought, oh, I know how to do that. Thank you, higher power. I, I, you know, you do it one day at a time. So, um, and another way God showed herself to me um, I, before I got cancer, I'd made a list of classes I wanted to take. I called it the University of Chava. There's all these things that I've wanted to do in my life that never got around to. I want to write, um, you know, take, you know, take a, being a writing group or take writing classes, um, improv, even knitting. And I, um, after I got the diagnosis, I um, was steered by my doctor to a cancer resource center and. The person there called me from the research center called and she says, well, these are the classes we have. We have writing and improv and we have knitting. And I mean, it was like word for word my list, you know, and that was definitely a higher power moment. So, and a friend of mine said, well, can cancer must be your path. <laughs> and I think it has been. Um, and I'm still writing. Um, and uh, And what does that mean? Ten minutes, okay, thanks. Um, I've heard it at a meeting, one time I heard it, someone say at a meeting that the most important decision that um, you'll ever, she said the most important decision I'll ever have to make is the decision to turn my will and life over to the care of a higher power. It's not who I'm going to marry or where I'm going to live or what career I'm going to have. It's the decision to surrender to God. And um, I have always, I've had, a, I have a hard time making decisions, and I mean little decisions. Shall I go to this meeting or that meeting? You know, shall I apple or pear? Apple or pear? And um, which is why I write down my food at the beginning of the day. But um, but with cancer, I had to make some pretty important decisions about, you know, some 
executive decisions about treatment. You know, there were there's choices. I mean, one of my choices was, well, you can have this treat this treatment that could possibly cause permanent nerve damage, which wasn't really thrilling to hear, especially if I wanted to dance. Or you could have this treatment, which doesn't cause nerve damage, but it might cause bone marrow damage, in which case when the cancer comes back, you probably wouldn't be able to be treated again. So, in other words, if I chose that treatment, it could be my last. <laughs> and, and then, I, you know, if the cancer came back, that would be it. So, anyway, I, I decided to go with the nerve damage risk, <laughs> but I didn't feel good about the decision. I mean, at first, at first I chose... Um, another drug entirely that had an e I chose an easier uh, a less toxic way and I was very you know I prayed I did research I um, and I felt in my gut that this was a good decision and I, I tried it and it didn't work so then I was faced with the toxic decisions and um, I, the day that my chemo was scheduled, I didn't even, I wasn't even sure I was going to go through with it because I hadn't heard any word from God, you know, no doves flew and handed me a message, do this because I just, I couldn't fathom doing this treatment. But um, my sponsor in another program picked me up and I, uh, talking, I talked to her on the way to the hospital and um talked out my last doubts and I decided I was going to go through with it and I I said to my higher power inside myself I said okay God um, I've made this decision I don't I I think it's the best decision that I, it's the best I knew how to make but uh, if it's not the right decision please block it you know bless this decision or just block it from happening somehow and can you please give me a sign or something? Because I just have not felt close to you lately, and I just, I just did not feel good about it. So I registered at the hospital. I mean, still no signs. Some geese flew overhead, but I wasn't, you know, that wasn't burning bush enough for me. So, um, and then a practitioner came in asking me if I wanted to do a guided visualization, and I, I said sure. And so she, you know, I, I, meanwhile, the, the drugs are going in me um, through an IV. And in the guided meditation, that um, I was asked, what, um, what does health look like to you? And I pictured myself in my living room, and there were colored, colorful balloons all around, and my friends were there dancing, and there were good smells coming from the kitchen, and... I was just twirling and twirling like a dervish and and I, so after the guided meditation I, I told her that image and then my sponsor like looked said, pointed out said look and points out the window and there's this big rainbow arching over the hill a double rainbow and my um, sponsor runs out to get the nurse to show her the nurse comes in and she says well I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but you might think I'm crazy, but I believe in signs, and you're going to get well. <laughs> so I got my sign, and I did get well. I got a neuropathy, but it, it went away, fortunately, thank God. Um, and I am dancing. 
Um, in October, I found that my cancer had returned after not having it for, for two years. So I am, I do have cancer now. Um, is that my time? Five minutes. I, um, I always say that if I'm going to relapse in a disease, I'd much rather it be cancer than, than my food disease. Um, and, and the reason is that when I am in my food, I am isolated. I am shut off from people and shut off from God. And in fact, you know, dealing with cancer, I mean, it has, has made me more part of a community, made me realize how much I need people, and and also learn, learning how to be there for other people who who are need help. And um, I, I um, relapse with the food makes me miserable. Relapse in cancer. I mean, I. I'm not miserable at all. I I have my days, but um, but usually not around cancer so much as um, just general grouchiness. Um, I I've learned that my happiness depends on my spiritual condition. It doesn't depend on the conditions of, of my life. And um, the conditions of my life can e- I can either use them as an excuse, as I have, and you know, head for the refrigerator, or I can take those conditions and apply the 12 steps to, um, of the program and the tools and um, get closer to God. So um, hard times really, hard times really, really, really make make us make me appreciate the program. I mean, when I'm going through hard times, being be it cancer, be it whatever, it's I go, thank God, thank God I'm abstinent, thank God I have this this fellowship and these tools, and thank God I have um, God, (laughs) who's there in sickness and in health. Um, I think that's it, thanks. So our second speaker is Martha. Everybody, my name is Martha. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm glad to be here. So again, I'll qualify for how I earned my seat in a way. I um, have been in the program more than 20 years. I think it's 23 or 24. I'm. I consider myself a lifelong compulsive eater. My top weight is about. 45 or 50 pounds more than I weigh today. My bottom weight or my lowest weight as an adult is probably 20 or 25 pounds less than I weigh today. So I've sort of had the spectrum of the disease. And I came into the program in my early 40s. I'm going to turn 65 next month. And I, too, think the reason I was invited to speak is because I've had a cancer diagnosis as well. Um, And I also 
think of it as being the second life-threatening disease that that I've had. I consider compulsive overeating, even the sort of garden variety compulsive overeating that I've had my whole life as being a life and death illness. And the way it manifests in me was not so much um, the threat of uh, the complications of morbid obesity. Certainly that was in my family, but I didn't experience that personally. But the sort of day-to-day absence from my life and also some of the risky things that I did as a compulsive eater because of the compulsion, because of not being able to stop. And um, more than once I've had to have the Heimlich maneuver in a restaurant from eating so fast and not chewing and, and choking on food. And certainly driving while eating is one of the most dangerous things that a compulsive overeater or probably anybody else can do um, of just being absent, not being not being present to the to the uh, to the road, or uh, in the, in a more global sense, not being present to myself. I also had the alienation from my body that a lot of us experience: a lot of self hatred and a lot of um, disgust, and also that feeling that I existed from the head up. A real confusion about what was going on with my body, what size I was. Um, whether I was hungry, I, I was hungry all the time. I, I almost every feeling that I experienced, I experienced as hunger, not as sadness or loneliness or whatever. So I have a tremendous amount of gratitude to this program that I'd been in the program for a very long time. By the time I got my cancer diagnosis, it was about three years ago. Um, so I'd been in the program essentially 20 years before I, I found out that I had breast cancer. And I think I found the lump myself. I think part of how that happened was the fact that I had an awareness of my body after 20 years in the program that I didn't have when I walked in the door, that I intuitively know things that I didn't didn't know before. And I also <clears throat> excuse me noticed the patterns of my thoughts in a way that I certainly didn't before recovery. And I realized the week that I found the lump that I was obsessing about somebody else's health just over and over and over and over again. And um I qualify for several other programs, as you might guess, and and I had learned from my sponsor and and uh, working the steps that um, that often there was something in that kind of obsession for me to know about myself, and I had found the lump, actually felt it a few days before. And when I noticed this obsession, I asked myself a question that people had taught me to ask, which was, how is this about me? And then I thought, oh, man, this is not just the ordinary kind of lumps I've found many times before uh, and had had 
drained and, you know, I've had cysts before and special tests before, but uh-oh, I better, I better do something about this one now. And very fortunately, it was very early, it was stage one, but breast cancer, but because of the type, I ended up needing to have a mastectomy. It was multifocal. There were three small cancers. And um, actually, this comes to mind, so I'll go ahead and say it. I had been um, taking painting classes for a few years, something that I got back into after I got into recovery. Um, in sort of some of my creativity got awakened or unleashed or something. And looking back at paintings I painted the previous two years, there were little red dots in the look. I had some pictures that were of big round things, and, uh, and there were red dots that corresponded to the location of the breast cancer. Um, and... I don't know, I think that's curious, I think it's interesting, but I also think that um, that there was all sorts of information for me to, to learn and to open myself to as I went through this process these last three years. Um, I remember that the day that I was told that I needed a biopsy um, I had gone by myself to, to the appointment and when I went back to get in, into my car I sat behind the wheel for a little while and I felt this sort of um, stream of, of fear work its way up through, through my body and sort of particularly focus in my, in my upper chest and I knew it was fear. I knew that it was a feeling, and I knew that it had a name. And when I came into this program 20-plus years ago, I, I couldn't identify a feeling. I, that's where the feeling that I called hunger was located in, in my upper chest and throat. And what I did with that was stuff it down and try to make it go away by putting things in my mouth. Another thing I was, I was talking earlier about the, sort of the dangers of garden variety compulsive overeating, certainly having a compulsion and not being able to stop when I was compelled to put something in my mouth, it didn't matter if it was stale or moldy or came off the ground or came out of the garbage. And um, being able to avail myself of the tools of the program and, and the recovery that is in these rooms, there came a time when I didn't have to do that action anymore. And what happened by having that pause is that I could then feel my feelings and and watch my thoughts as I've described. Another thing I didn't know when I came into this program was when I was thirsty. I thought, I got hunger and thirst confused. I got tiredness and hunger confused. I certainly got anger 
and hunger confused. I thought all those things were were meant that I needed to eat. And now I actually know when my mouth is dry and when I need to take a drink of water. Some of the other ways that OA and and the 12 steps have helped since having this life challenge, as this workshop is called, is that prior to coming into recovery, I I considered myself very self-sufficient. I uh, was the chair of this and the head of that, and um, I like to be in charge of things and try to control things. And I was a helper. I wasn't, I was on the giving end when help needed to be dispensed. And it was um, through the program and recovery, having all that practice of asking for help, that I was able to have somebody go with me the next time I had to go to the doctor. And all those times after my surgery, that I needed rides because it was several weeks before I could drive again of, of sort of getting over myself, getting past the, the voices which are still there that say, oh, nobody wants to do that or this is a bother or I'm going to owe them. If they do me a favor, I have to do them a favor back. I could sort of hear that and let it let it be there and then go ahead and take the actions that I needed to take which was to to ask for help. I think one of the most striking things for me in the period right around the time I had my surgery which was was a mastectomy and breast reconstruction um, was the fact that I could literally physically feel the support I was receiving. I had um, a sort of a blog type thing that a a friend had helped me set up so that people could send me messages and people could post messages about how I was doing. And messages were literally coming in from all over the world. Um, And I met with a group of very close supporters of about 30 people a few days before I went into surgery and um, we meditated together we chanted together people expressed their different belief systems in their own way and um, I I knew that my name was being said in various uh, religious meeting places all over my town and that people were praying for me all over the world and for the first time in my life I could really feel it I understood I'd known for a long time that I had support that the that the transformation that happened to me and happens to people in these rooms happens in part because of of the community and the connection. But I could feel it. I felt bu- buoyed by it. And 
it, it was sort of like learning how to float before you learn how to swim. I, I felt held by people's thoughts and prayers and actions. And, um, and the, the, that lasted for a long time. It was sort of like a pink cloud, maybe. It didn't feel like denial. It just felt good. And it felt very, very real. And I don't, I don't know if I can express it. I, if other people have felt it, you know what I'm talking about. But um, I wouldn't have had that larger community and I wouldn't have been able to avail myself of the help in my community had I not had all these years of practice in this program with this community. Um, and I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for, for that. Um, another part of my history as a compulsive eater is that I've had a lot of body image issues. I know there are going to be talks later on today about that, um, both as an overweight uh, teenager, preteen, and, um, and young adult, and also being a chronic dieter and a yo-yo dieter for all those years. There was a lot of focus about what I looked like, how I looked and what I looked like, and a lot of obsession about that. And um, thankfully, I'd experienced recovery from, from a lot of, of that as well by the time I had to have this surgery, which was not a, an absolute given for me that I was going to have breast reconstruction. It seemed to be a, an absolute given that I would have the mastectomy, the way it was presented to me. I know a lot of women who get breast cancer nowadays have lumpectomies and radiation. Um, it, it was the way it was explained to me that was not a good option or the best option for me. And I too had an experience of a sort of a of a I don't know the word that comes as vision of an image that came to me prior to the surgery. Um, I had several. One of them was to take my own knife into the operating room with me because I didn't want to go in there un unarmed. So there was definitely some anger coming out and some you know, sort of weird fantasies. But another one that I had that I was reluctant at first to talk about was an image of a cross. And I grew up in a Protestant family, but there was not a lot of iconography uh, in our household, maybe in some of the relatives, but not in the home I, I grew up with. And I, um, I have a very sort of eclectic and universal concept of a higher power and not a, don't particularly practice any one religion. But I got this image and I sort of pushed it away at first. I didn't understand it and I didn't really want it. And then I sat with it just a few minutes and the word came of sacrifice. And I realized that I wasn't being attacked or mutilated by the doctors who were going to operate on me. I was 
making a trade. I was sacrificing a part of my body for the opportunity to have a have a longer, healthier life. And when it came to me in those terms, it didn't seem like such an attack or a ripoff or a um, a bad deal. And um, I'm very grateful that the technology exists that I availed myself of and that I did decide to have the, have the reconstruction. It was a big, big surgery. It took many hours and it was successful. Uh, it's not the same. I don't have the, I don't have the body I had when I was 30. I don't have the body I had when I went into that operating room. But I, I'm glad I made the decision that I made, which was right for me. And I don't feel that it came out of that old body obsession, just wanting to look a certain way. It came from my heart and my spirit. And I took actually quite a, a several weeks to make my decision. I did a lot of meditating, a lot of drawing, a lot of uh, just sitting with the question. I didn't jump into the decision. And I felt when I finally did make the decision that it was the right one for me. I wouldn't necessarily say it's right for any other person. Um, I have, as a result of having been in this program all these years, I have a, have a much more loving and compassionate um, attitude toward my body than I did in my early years. And I guess one of the things that is has really been enormous for me in, in my OA recovery and in the recovery from my breast cancer is, is the sense of gratitude, which again is feels really real and genuine. It's not like I think I ought to feel grateful. Um, I do. I wake up glad to be alive, glad to be in this program, glad to be in recovery, glad to um, have my various faculties. And, when, and there was a time when I wished I didn't have my body, that I wished, you know, maybe wished I hadn't been born or wanted to die um, in the depths of my uh, illness. But there's been a, a spiritual trans transformation which gratitude has been a really huge part of and it would not have happened I think I've got five more minutes thanks it would not have happened had I not found my way into these rooms because uh, I've done a lot of other stuff tried a lot of other things to try to work with my angst and my unhappiness and my attitudes toward myself before I got here. So I'm grateful to have been born. I consider that I was born a compulsive overeater. I was born into a family of compulsive overeaters and other folks with other kinds of addictions. And um, I, don't, I don't know that I could say that I'm glad for this illness, but um, I'm certainly grateful for what's come out of it, which is that sense of feeling connected and feeling cared for, and and 
I guess maybe I'll end with a little anecdote. Although I did write down some notes, so I'm going to look and see if there's something else um, that I wanted to say that I, I didn't say. Um, and I guess it's been said already, but but I got through that time period around the surgery in the time since, which has actually been a lot more challenging than those early months where there was so much help and so much attention. It's the day-to-day after the big hoopla is over that uh, where the rubber really meets the road, where I need my friends and my sponsor and my meetings and the literature and all the tools. But it's, it is a daily, uh, you know, life. <laughs> Is, a, is one day at a time and dealing with anything life might uh, dish out is, uh, is one day at a time and thankfully we have these tools and the steps to follow. So I'll just finish with a kind of a brief version of something that uh, happened to me in a meditation one time that, um, that ties in. I was... Uh, now, I don't know how many years ago, 10 or more years ago, I was thinking about a career change. And I'd been going to an OA meditation meeting in, um, I think it was in Berkeley for, for many years, Berkeley or Oakland. And um, I decided that that one particular meeting that I was going to get, I was going to get a message about whether I should change careers or not. I don't know how that came to me, although my my sponsor had had an experience that she had told me about that it seemed like, oh, she just asked the question and there was the answer. So I thought, okay, I'll just ask the question and there will be the answer. Um, so I posed the question and um, I meditated with, with the fo- other folks that were at the meeting. And partway through the meditation, I literally heard a voice, which is, um, was a surprise to me. And um, I had asked, you know, should I leave this career that I've prepared for since I was a young child? Or should I do, um, not quite how I posed the alternative, maybe do, do my art, write the books that I've been wanting to write all my life. And um, so I sat with it, and and the words that I heard were, God is great, God is good, which were part of a blessing that I said before meals when I was a little girl. Uh, the rest of it is, let us thank him for our food. Um, but I didn't hear those those words. I heard, you are lovable, you are loved. So I got an answer to a question that I didn't know to ask. And my experience after my, around the time of my surgery was of being loved, both by my higher power and the members of my family and community. So um, I couldn't ask for a greater gift than that. I think that's what I wanted to know when I came in here. I think that's what I wanted instead of all that food all those years. So thanks for listening.
So the speakers will now draw questions from the Ask It Basket for the remainder of the meeting. Did you adjust your diet during the illness? How did you get back to normal? Yeah, I got to eat stewed prunes. I almost was sorry when the cancer was over. Um, I had to do something very... Um, uh, something that's just not how I abstain. I mean, I abstain by having distinct meals and I had to commit to my sponsor that I was going to eat when I could throughout the day which sounds a lot like compulsive overeating I mean but um, because I was honest about what I was doing you know that I was basically trying to get food in me and um, that's how I I was able to do that I mean it was just amazing what I could um, there were things that I couldn't eat um, so my food plan changed a lot but for a while but um, I think the important thing was that I was honest about it and I, and I was actually very relieved to get back to my clear cut normal food does that answer the question? Do you wanna I uh, only had a day or so around the time of my surgery that I had to eat any differently than I did before, um, so which I'm grateful for. Um, I will say that the first few weeks people brought me food and thankfully it was mostly uh, OA people so they knew how I ate and it was some of the best food I've ever had. I mean, people really brought me wonderful fresh cooked vegetables and you know, really great healthy food. This is a, a, another question that says, what do you do that is the most helpful for you in this program? The word that just came to me was pray. Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have thought that if I thought for very long, but um, it is one of the ways that I can pause. Um, I was a real, I was a grazer like the speaker who talked last night and did a lot of hand-to-mouth um, eating and so I needed, needed and continue to need things that help me pause uh, before I take a compulsive bite and, uh, or before I take any kind of action and um, I think step 11 prayer and meditation is something that does put that put space between the thought of eating and the act of eating. So uh, that's one of the most helpful meetings and phone calls, working the steps over and over. Working with sponsees is probably way up there on the list because it reminds me of who I am and what the disease is and um, how scary it can be. Well, the word that comes to my mind first of what's most helpful is abstinence. And um, abstinence is just the basis of my life. And if I, if 
I am abstinent, then I can go through whatever life brings. Um, if I'm not abstinent, then I not only have illness of cancer or whatever, but I have cancer, overeating, um, isolation, as I've said, I, uh, depression, um, probably homelessness, because I, I think if I ate, I would drink. So just uh, sticking to my food plan, no matter what's going on. Unless there are any other questions in the basket, there's this one last one which I'll read. Um, I've lost weight when ill, loved it, but gained it back, just as my doctor said. I was not happy with that, made my disease kick in. I have trouble with suggestions like what my doctor said. What can I do to keep on track? Um, and I, I think I sort of said it before with the with uh, that using the tools of the program, using what's here, and um, with a vengeance almost of really availing ourselves of of the program. There are meetings in my area every day of the week, sometimes several a day, um, and lists of people to call and. Um, and, but also doing what's possible, setting, um, you know, I was talking to a newcomer the other night and um, um, in the course of the conversation she said, what I can do is come back to another meeting. That she probably didn't think she could call a stranger, but something that she could get, do was go to a meeting. So that's what comes to my mind to share is to is to use all the tools or use the tools that you can use and um, uh, work the steps. They, they are miraculous. I don't know how doing this set of questions and writing and and working through the steps really works. Of why it, that behavior makes this other behavior makes the eating behavior different but it does um, or it has and I see it continue to happen all around me so um, the steps and the tools well ditto um, uh, yeah I guess what comes to me is keep coming back just keep coming to meetings keep coming back um, bring, my bring my body and my mind follows um, and also I just had to pray I still have to pray a lot for willingness um, ask God for willingness for the willingness to be willing um, when I wanted to be abstinent after I lost my abstinence I wanted to be abstinent and I asked someone to be my sponsor and she made a suggestion which was not to eat a particular food and I politely said okay and got off the phone and then I was just full of rage and how does she, I can eat that food. I don't have a problem with that food. How does she suggest I don't suggest I don't eat this food? And, and I had just been like, I needed to get abstinent, and I couldn't get abstinent, and I didn't want to take her suggestions. And and finally, I just like got on my knees by my bed because I was so like I just oh, I can't stand this anymore. 
what's been going on in my head and I said, God, you know, I know you want me to be in this program, but I need some sort of miracle because I can't do it. And and what happened is, I mean, I immediately started to cry and I just really got it that all that time I've heard about this, that um, food is just a symptom. And I just got it. It wasn't about whether I could have this particular kind of food or not. It was about that um, what I got was that I had, I, when I was, my husband died a number of years ago, and I had just eaten over it for all these years. And the message was like, I, oh, I'm afraid to be abstinent because I'm going to have to look at this stuff. And then when I, when I knew that, I was able to like let go of that food or whatever. Actually, the next day my sponsor changed her mind, but. Um, but just the prayer for the willingness just to ask God to do for me what I cannot do for myself and for the willingness to, um, to do what I need to do for, you know, for myself. How has higher power carried you during this time Assuming I have power has, and what did you do when you felt higher power was not there? Uh, well, my first time with cancer, just a lot. I just it was such a period of grace that you know it was like the higher power just let me know. I felt it, and a lot of it had to do with the love that I got from people in the fellowship. It was. Um, just felt like my birthday every day, and or Christmas or Hanukkah, um, but but yeah, there was that time where like I can't believe that I have these decisions to make that they're both horrible, and I just could not I just couldn't get out of the anxiety, and I I wasn't feeling connected to God, and that's when I said God, I just need you to be here, I need to have a sign from you, you know, and I got it in Technicolor. Um, you know, this second bout of cancer has not been such a pink cloud. I mean, it hasn't been sort of like, it hasn't felt that spiritual, but it's kind of like the less of that feeling has just become part of my life, I think. I, in that, like, I just don't think about having cancer that much. I have cancer. It's not being treated by conventional means at the moment. The doctor didn't want to, but, I mean, it's, we're watching and waiting, is what they call it. But um, so I, I sort of have the daily, you know, in abstinence, it's just like sometimes I'm close to God and sometimes I'm not. And at those times, like recently, I mean, my I was just feeling like not trusting God because I was afraid like someone's going to be angry with me and all hell's going to break loose. Plus, I had financial anxiety and. Those are the times I don't, you know, it's like, don't overeat, you know, and act as if, act as if I know that God is here, even when I can't feel God. Um, and I keep seeing my prayers answered. Um, situations that I didn't know how to handle that I can walk through. I, I think I have a similar 
answer in a similar experience that um, I go through the motions, which is my my version of act as if. Um, when I don't wake up feeling grateful to, to open my eyes and be alive, I say thank you anyway. And I have a, a routine of things I do in the morning and um, and, and sometimes in the evening, not every evening. But I do those things anyway. And part of of my story is that I have kept coming back all these years. And so those things seem very uh, almost rote now. Sometimes they feel truly inspired and sometimes sort of perfunctory. Um, but to, to be grateful and to express that gratitude even when I don't really genuinely feel it. Um, and also to to think about other people, uh, to sort of get out of myself, c- connects me when I can ask that all beings be happy and that all beings be free of suffering. There's something that about that that connects me into a higher power or a higher consciousness or a a sense of something larger than myself. So asking for for good things for other people has helped. It is now time to close the meeting. Let's let's thank our speakers and all who have done service. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise I put my hand in yours.